Hey guys, this is Courtney from Kyle and Courtney Have Questions. Just a heads up that this week's episode is going to be a little bit heavier. We're going to be discussing topics like racism and police brutality, so please take care when tuning in. Thank you for joining us for this discussion. Uh... <laughs> I swear to God, my friend Brandon does that all the time. We'll what? be sitting there and I'll be like, I'll be like, here, I like pour another drink and he'll go, oh, thank you. I love him. Stop doing I love him. Hello. Hi, and welcome to Kyle and Courtney Have Questions, the podcast where we try to figure out what TF this world is all about. Every week, we pick a different topic that we want to talk about, and we do a deep dive and hopefully learn something new along the way. She'll paint you like one of her French girls. It's Courtney Agnew. He's the most wonderful unicorn of a human being. It's Kyle Russell. <laughs> unicorn. Hey, you bitch. What are you doing? Magical unicorn. You're a magical unicorn. I am. I know. You know. You already know. <laughs> you have pixie platinum blonde hair. Mm-hmm. You are basically a unicorn. It's true. It's true. What's I going know. on? You know what? I'm just uh, living my life here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I have been on the go so much the last month. And like right now I don't have anything on my agenda. Like I'm just staying in Pittsburgh for the foreseeable future. And it's kind of nice to just stay put for a bit. That sounds incredible. You know, just relax. Yeah. I mean, I love to travel, but I was gone like for four day weekends, every other weekend for a while there. And it's, where's your out, man? Absolutely. I've been doing a lot of gigs, so I'm happy to be relaxing this week and talking to you and having this discussion that we're going to have today, which I think is super vital um, and very, very important. Agreed. Um, But before we get into that, Courtney, are you going to go see Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah. 100%. I cannot wait. June June 10th? Yeah. I think it's It's coming up soon. Yeah. It's very soon. I know. I can't believe that it's... I feel like it's been building up for so long. It's right around the corner. I mean, Stephen Ray Morris is going to have a shit fit. He's about Stephen, to lose his mind. He's going to have all the content. You know, like his his Jurassic podcast. He's mm-hmm. going to have an amazing review of it. I can't wait to hear it. Stephen is the Do you know expert. the storyline of this one? Like, what's the premise? So I, I I'm not entirely certain. I don't know how they're going to go about bringing back the original cast back into everything. I mean, the last one we left off, the dinosaurs had been released into the wild by that little girl. And so now they're just like out in the world. So I don't know, are they trying to collect them? Mm -hmm. Are they, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. So we'll see. Did I miss one released out into the world? What happened? Oh my God. Remember? So in the last one, remember they went back to the Island to collect the animals that that Is guy that, was auctioning them off. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, she pressed the button to open the door. So they all escaped because there was like poisonous gas filling the area where they were being held. But they're not still on the island? No, they, they took them off of the island. So in the obviously the first movie is like at the park on the island. Everything goes to shit and they um, abandon it. You're absolutely but then, right there's going to be a volcanic eruption. So they're trying to save the animals. First of all, do you remember that scene with the Brachiosaurus? I I was like, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. And it makes me cry every time. I mean, I cry at just about, I cry at every movie, but that, that scene, I can't, 
you can kill any human. I don't give a shit, uh, but you cares? kill an animal. Yeah. I'm not okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a mess the entire I will not see any movie with a dog in it. Period. I will nope. even look up is there is there a dog in this movie and does it die? Yeah. And if it does, forget it. I'm not going. Hard pass. Not Hard interested. Pass. You know what movie I'm really excited about? What? The Bob's Burgers movie. Oh my God. Yeah, that comes out soon, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about that. about that one. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh my God. It is going to be a mess. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Joe was like, you want to go to the movies for this? And I was like, <laughs> absolutely I do. Seriously? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, darling. Meanwhile, I'm over here. The movie that just came out that I want to go see is the Downton Abbey movie. I loved Downton Abbey. So, oh my gosh, I haven't seen pleasure. the last. I haven't seen the last season or the last or the first movie, so mm. I'm a little bit behind. Yeah. But I know the premise of this movie. Yeah, and I, I just it love looks, the Downton storyline. Period. So I'm sure I would yeah, enjoy it. I think it's really beautiful. I love the variety of characters that they mm-hmm. have. I mean, given the fact that it's set in England, it's a bunch of white people. They still different socioeconomics, you know, opinions. And I mean, Maggie Smith is just fucking incredible. I watch anything with Maggie Smith. Like whenever Maggie Smith leaves this earth, I'm going to have to take like a couple days off work. <laughs> I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> I feel the same way, but for Liza Minnelli, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be in mourning. Don't, don't talk to me. Send me cards. I'll send, send you flowers. flowers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to send it. you flowers. Um, so Courtney, what are we talking about today? What's our question? So this week we are digging into a little bit of a heavier topic. Okay. Um, As we all know, there was recently a shooting in Buffalo where a white man walked into a grocery store and murdered 10 black Americans and injured several more. Um, We, over the past few years, have witnessed the power of the Black Lives Matter movement. We know the names George Floyd, Tamir Mm -hmm. Rice, Breonna Taylor, Trayvon Martin. I mean, that list just doesn't fucking end. It's insane. It is an ever-growing list. Yeah, and I don't know if you've watched the movie. What's the movie? Oh, God, now I'm blanking on the name. Is the Netflix documentary The 13th? 13? Is it just called 13? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think I've seen that one. I'm like, I'm so bad at remembering uh, names of movies. But um, I'll find it. I'll send it to you. At the end of the movie, it is all about you know, racism in America. And at the end of the movie, they literally just flash up names of black Americans that have been killed by police and white supremacy. And mm. it, it literally like, it brings me to tears every time it's, it's fucking terrible. Um, and honestly, this needs to be a much bigger discussion, but you're like, it's fucking terrible. Let me send it to you so you can watch it. Yeah, no, but it is fucking terrible, but we need to see it. We need to absolutely. It. No, I yeah. agree. And obviously Kyle, you and I are, white people. <laughs> I mean, what? I, I did two DNA tests. I did both ancestry and 23 and me. Mm-hmm. Both of them showed that I am 99% Western dash of Swedish. I'm the whitest bitch alive. <laughs> it came back just as milk. It, literally. It was like, you can't get any whiter. <laughs> Why did you spend money on this fucking thing? Basically. But, you know, because of that, we can't really speak about like racism and the experience of like black, brown, indigenous people in our country. But what we can do is we can talk to our people about how to do better. And so today's question is what is anti-racism and how is it important? So first of all, baseline, in case it wasn't already clear, 
racism exists. Racism is everywhere in the world. It is everywhere throughout the United States. Our country was literally fucking built on Mm -hmm. racism. Like, I mean, you cannot deny that. Like, slavery built our country to what it is today. And it's a direct result of racism, clearly. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I think it's in, I don't know, is it the Constitution that they literally declared a Black person was worth three fifths of what a white person was? How fucking disgusting is that? Yeah. It's, it's gross. I mean, it is like, it's baked into our country. It really is. It absolutely is. And so many people, you know, Barack Obama got elected president. Racism's over. No, it's ma'am. It's all done now. No, ma'am. No. Absolutely well, not. I, th- I think that's like even more evident now that we've seen the pendulum swing in the other yeah. direction. Oh my God. All these people are coming out of the woodwork because, They've you know, been empowered to do so. Yeah. Because there are very fine people on both sides. And they're like clutching their pearls, you know? Yeah. Disgusting. Um, But so first what I want to talk about is kind of classifying the different types of racism that exist. Mm. And then we're going to kind of define anti-racism and like how we combat these different types of racism, essentially. So um, the first one kind of starting smallest is individual racism. So these are the beliefs, the attitudes, the actions of an individual person that supports or perpetuates racism in both conscious and unconscious ways. So in the U.S., like the cultural narrative about racism typically focuses on this and it kind of fails to recognize the systemic racism that's built into our society. Mm -hmm. So like an example of this is obviously like people who just believe that white people are superior or, you know, not going to hire that person because I'm making assumptions about them due to their race. Like those kind of internal biases that we have. Um, That's kind of the, the the first thing people think about a lot. I think when, when we talk about racism Um, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the next one, which is interpersonal racism, which is kind of putting that individual racism into action. So it's what occurs between people or in a you know public setting, using slurs, making hateful comments or jokes, violence. Um, one example that I, I wrote down, because I think a lot of times people think it's like, you know, the March in Charlottesville, it's that like overt, hateful, angry racism, but it's not always. And so like one example that always stands out to me is, Um, In 2015, at the Oscars, Juliana Rancic famously Mm -hmm. made a comment about Zendaya, who had dreadlocks in her hair, and she did not interact with her at all. She was like looking at a photo or a video after the fact for like a fashion review or whatever. And her comment was, I feel like she smells like patchouli oil and weed. What? Why would, what, in what, in what? universe is that okay for anyone to say that like that's it's not the stupidest thing thing. it's fucking not and it's like but I like I think that's kind of where a lot of people stop seeing racism they're like well she didn't hurt her she didn't say the n-word she didn't you know yell at her but it's like but it's that's racist um so the next type would be the institutional racism. So that's kind of like within, um, like within an organization. So within a company, very common one that is brought up is like education, um, looking at discriminatory treatment, unfair policies, biased uh, practices that are based on race and result in like inequitable outcomes. 
for Mm -hmm. black people versus whites um, or, you know, brown people, indigenous people, any person of color. I kind of don't like the term person of color because it still kind of removes some of their identity. Like it's just grouping them. Mm -hmm. But I'm probably going to use that a lot just to kind of shorten up the discussion. Just a little disclaimer on that. Um, But like, so an example of that is a school district that has a higher proportion of black students that has fewer resources and fewer teachers. They have larger class sizes and, Mm. you know, those kinds of things. Um, And then the big one is structural racism. So that's just kind of that overarching system of racial bias that exists in our society. And it's, it's systems that have basically allowed white people to have more privilege whereas people of color have seen disadvantages. So, you know, looking at like stereotypes of, you know, black men as being criminals or thugs or black women as having multiple children with different men and, you know, they're lazy and they're taking advantage of the system and they're all on food stamps and, you know, just all that kind of bullshit. And I mean, even looking again at that comment Juliana Rancic made, you know, I feel like she smells like patchouli oil and weed. Like, the act of her saying that is definitely interpersonal racism, but the thought behind it is structural racism. Yeah. It's that stereotype that's been perpetuated throughout our society. Mm-hmm. But obviously today we want to focus on how we can be anti-racist. So according to uh, Ibram, I hope I'm saying this name correctly, Ibram X. Kendi, it's I-B-R-A-M. So I don't know if it's Ibram or Ibram, I'm not sure. Um Uh, He's the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. I didn't know this book existed, but I'm definitely going to order it. I've heard about Um, this one. Yeah, it seems very interesting. Um, But, you know, he said it's, it's really not enough to just simply be not racist because he puts it that the opposite of racist isn't not racist, it's anti racist. Mm -hmm. So, Kyle, from your perspective, how would you differentiate not racist versus anti racist? Well, it's interesting that that concept that you just described, that the opposite is not being not racist, it's anti-racist. I hadn't really thought about that before, but now that we're having this discussion and and seeing, you know, all of this society that we're living in, um, that totally makes sense where it's not, a, it's not enough to just be like, I'm not racist. You have to actively fight against it exactly. and try to dismantle the systems that are holding other people down and creating these divisions. Kyle, did you steal my notes? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very that was almost exactly what I had down. You know, people who say like, "Oh, I'm not racist." What they mean is like, "Well, I don't I don't think I don't think racist thoughts. I'm not mean to black people. I'm not mean to brown people. I'm a nice person. I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you said, anti-racist is just actively challenging that, like speaking up and saying something when you you see that in others or in society, it's that that conscious effort and that deliberate action to fight back against it and create more equal opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's uh, it's a challenge for white people to really dig deep into those, those emotions and those thought processes and like really analyze, why do I feel this way? What, what is, what is fueling this opinion that's forming in my brain, Mm -hmm. even though like, I don't agree with it. Like, where's it coming from? And when, when you start dissecting the society that we live in, it's, it's, it's hard. 
it's difficult to have those conversations with yourself and with your loved ones and to really understand how deeply rooted these things are and to like when the veil is lifted and you know and you're just like yeah. holy shit we got to do something about this yeah absolutely and i think that is a big obstacle for a lot of people yeah because immediately a lot of white people are like oh well i'm supposed to feel guilty i'm supposed to feel bad i didn't do it no no one's saying no. you did it but you have benefited from that structure of society yeah and it is uncomfortable and it is painful to see that and like know that i didn't do it but like i i need to do something now to eliminate that Right. You have to take that action. And so I found an article on the website for the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, mm. um, which next time I go to DC, I want to go there. It was not there the last time I was in DC, I don't believe. It wasn't open yet. Um, but I've heard that it's like one of the best Smithsonian museums. So I'm like, I'm so excited to go there at some point and learn more about this. But they have an article called Being Anti-Racist. And so I pulled a quote from it, which I think explains it very well. Um, no one is born racist or anti-racist. These result from the choices that we make. Being anti-racist results from a conscious decision to make frequent, consistent, equitable choices daily. These choices require ongoing self-awareness and self-reflection as we move through life. In the absence of making anti-racist choices, we unconsciously uphold aspects of white supremacy, white dominant culture, and unequal institutions and society. Being racist or anti-racist is not just about who you are. It is about what you do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost that same thing of like being anti-racist is a choice. Mm -hmm. Being racist is also a choice to do nothing. Yeah. Or to do harm. Um, and Kendi and others have, have, uh, said that, you know, being anti-racist really starts with having an understanding of history and understanding that, you know, racial disparities in America, they are rooted in so many policies that have helped to uphold white supremacy over the years. It's not like it's because of some failing of people of color. They didn't do this to themselves. I also think it's, it's interesting you say that. And growing up in Mississippi, uh, we, you know, it, it can be a very like strange place, you know, there, it's rooted <laughs> in racism. Yeah. Um, but when you're, Didn't you all have the Confederate flag and your state flag forever, you like, know, until just a few years ago. Yeah. But it, it's been a really interesting process trying to decipher the things that I've learned in school when I was in grade school and mm -hmm. learning the slant that I was taught and mm -hmm. unlearning those things and learning like the flip side of it or the reality of it or, yeah. you know, the other side of the coin and, and understanding I wasn't necessarily taught the whole truth. Yeah. And coming to grips with that is like a, it's a, it's a huge kind of like a, a, an awakening. And then when you start like diving into like the true stories and the the other side of the coin, mm -hmm. um, I, I've I've found that to be um, really scary, quite honestly, yeah. and very eye opening to you know learn that the things that I was taught aren't really the whole truth. Yeah, it is very scary to confront that and realize that we we haven't 
been taught history. We've been taught a very whitewashed, trimmed down version of history to make this country look much better than it is. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that they kind of brought up with this was just even recently the coronavirus pandemic. So it's just a really great example of how you know, our societal structure impacts communities of color because black and Latino people in many communities are disproportionately likely to become sick and die during this pandemic. And Mm -hmm. so Kendi questioned this. He wrote um, in an article, I think it was for the Atlantic, um, that he questioned, he said, why are black and Latino people during this pandemic less likely to be working from home, less likely to be insured, more likely to live in trauma care deserts, lacking access to advanced emergency care, and more likely to live in polluted neighborhoods. And the answer, as he says, is very simple. It's racism. Yeah. And so like a couple examples, even prior to uh, COVID, Flint, Michigan. Oh, that man. story, that, that lasted more than two years. And I mean, I don't, I still don't think they have clean water. It's improved, but it's not as bad, but it's not good. Yeah. And I mean, can you imagine that happening in a predominantly white neighborhood? Like, can you imagine that happening in the, the North side of Chicago? Right. That shit would be fixed immediately. Immediately. Um, they would be and, people I working mean, around the clock. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, a couple examples that came to mind. Uh, Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. Oh man, yeah. New Orleans after mm-hmm. Katrina. Those are predominantly Black and Hispanic Latino communities, and they were completely decimated. And our government completely mismanaged the recovery of those locations. Mm-hmm. I mean, Puerto Rico is still not recovered from Maria, and that was almost five years ago. That was five years ago. Five years ago. I was in Puerto Rico a year after Maria. There were still like huge major intersections without traffic lights. There were still houses that were empty and condemned. There Mm. were still, there was like, we drove by a gas station that the entire roof of the gas station had been ripped off and it was, it was open because they had to have gas. There's still places in New Orleans and in New Orleans East specifically that are uh, still boarded up. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and Car- Katrina was t- 20 plus years ago. Yeah. What was that? 2005. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, listen, we all thought Kanye was crazy. And I mean, he might be a little bit, but like, he wasn't wrong. The government doesn't really care a lot a about little, black little people. kernel of truth in there. Yeah. A little, little smidge there. Um, and I think one of the most obvious disparities, and I, I hope this doesn't come across as beating a dead horse, but the war, the fucking bullshit war on drugs. Yeah. That has so, it's so blatantly obvious how disproportionately that has affected communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled some statistics on that from a, what was it? It was on AmericanProgress.org. There was an article. I'll give you the name of it later when I give my sources. But um, first of all, Black Americans are four times more likely to be arrested for weed charges than white people. Four times? Four times. Four times mm. more likely. Yep. Yeah, but that sounds, 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 sounds about right. Black Americans are six times more likely to be incarcerated for drug-related offenses, despite the fact that substance abuse rates are equal between Black and white people. Mm. Black, Americans, 
Black Americans convicted of a drug crime serve nearly the same amount of time as a white defendant does for a violent crime. Damn. On average, they serve 58 months versus the white defendant with a violent crime serving 61. I think that's, su- that. I want to say super interesting. I mean, it's it's terrifying, quite honestly. Yeah. But I, I think it's very interesting now that we're seeing since we have so much access to information um, that when something like this happens, like a sentencing gets handed down or like a person gets arrested, they'll, we have enough statistics at this point where it's like, you can see mirror, mirror examples of like a white Mm -hmm. person, how they were treated and sentenced versus a black person and how they were treated. And you can see, like you can see across the board how disjointed it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, I just, I don't understand how anybody could see that and be like, it's different. It's not, it's literally, it's not. Um, People of color account for 70% of defendants convicted of charges with a minimum mandatory sentence. Are you familiar with that? A little bit. So it's basically that the, the state essentially decides that with this case, they must serve at least this amount. Yeah. Um, Prosecutors are twice as likely to pursue a mandatory minimum for a black defendant than a white defendant, even if they're charged with the same offense. What the fuck? If they're arrested for the same thing, they're going to pursue them differently. And defendants that have a mandatory minimum along with their charge spend five times longer in prison than white defendants convicted of the same crime. What? I mean, I, I want to say why though. I mean, I understand why. It, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense why. Yeah. But so I ordered this book. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I'll show it to you. It's called "The New Jim Crow" by Michelle oh, yeah. Alexander, and it is literally just about how our current justice system basically serves as the new method of racial control. Hmm. I can't wait to start reading. I know it's. I know it's going to be really upsetting, yeah. but I think it's going to be important information and good yeah, to know. I'm interested in that too. Yeah. Who wrote, who wrote that again? Um, so it's called the new Jim Crow and it's by Michelle Alexander. Okay. So, I mean, clearly racism is real. <laughs> right. There's, there's no denying it. Sorry folks. Um, but what I found really interesting in the discussions about racism is that, or anti-racism, excuse me, is that it doesn't just apply to white people. So according to um, the one article that I was reading on Vox.com, they actually said being anti-racist is different for white people than it is for people of color. For white people, being anti-racist evolves with their racial identity development. They must acknowledge and understand their privilege, work to change their internalized racism, and interrupt racism when they see it. For people mm-hmm. of color, it means recognizing how race and racism has been internalized and whether it has been applied to other people of color. And I think that's an mm-hmm. interesting point to make that even people of color can have internalized racism, you know, towards other communities of color um, or, I mean, towards their own communities, just based on the the society that we live in and the stereotypes that we perpetuate. And yeah. it reminded me, years ago, like over 10 years ago, I worked with a woman, um, who was, uh, like a, uh, she was a black woman. She was, I think she was around like 40 years old. She wasn't super old, not like super old school or anything. Um, and 
she used to make comments like about some of the younger black people, especially like the black men that worked in our office, um, saying things like, I don't speak Ebonics Mm. and I don't have a bunch of baby daddies like these other black girls. Mm -hmm. And I was just always like, that's so weird to me, but it's, you know, because of the, the area where she was raised, she was raised around predominantly white people. She internalized a lot of those messages that just existed in the society around her. I feel like internalized hatred, whether it's of color, of sexual gender, sexual yeah. identity, gender, is so pervasive. And it's, it, is. it is one of the hardest things to crack and to come it to is. terms with yeah. when it's internalized. Yeah. A friend of mine actually just served on a jury down in um, Georgia for a case. And um, it was for like a, a sexual abuse, sexual harassment case. And uh, it was against a police officer, a white police officer. Mm. And most of the victims were young black women. Mm. And he said they ended up having a hung jury because the only person who would not vote to convict him was an older black woman who was in her 60s. And he was like, she just kept saying, these young girls are stupid. They got themselves into trouble. Mm. They shouldn't be living this life. They wouldn't have a problem. And it was just like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? It just baffles me. How much of that do you think is like part of like the, the part of, oh my gosh, how am I, how am I trying to explain this? Of like the, when women talk about each other like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not yeah. necessarily like a color thing, but like a woman thing. Cause I, I've seen that a lot where women will blame each other rather than, you know, oh, the yeah. system that's right. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for, again, obviously I wasn't there, but he sure. said, he was like, it almost seemed like she was, she thought these like black girls deserved it or something. And I was like, mm. that's horrifying. Like, yeah. but, but yeah. So, I mean, with all of that being said, like we have to remember it is not the responsibility of people of color to fix racism. Right. It is not their responsibility to educate us or explain to white people how to not be racist, how to be anti-racist. Yeah. But with that being said, if and when a person of color does speak up to share their experience or give their input, we have to listen. Absolutely. But we don't need to be burdening them with asking questions of like, okay, so what should I do? Or, you know, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Like, if I'm in this situation, what do I do? That's not the responsibility. We listen and we take that information and we do our own work. Google is free, figure guys. Out. Google is free. Books, a library card is free. Go check out books, read, learn, mm-hmm. watch documentaries, like it's don't go asking black people or brown people or indigenous people like what they should do or what you right. should do rather, excuse me. Like, and there's actually a girl that I follow on Instagram um, who she's indigenous and she does do a lot of kind of activism work um, on Instagram. She has her like Venmo handle in her bio and occasionally she'll throw it up in her story and be like, Hey, if you guys appreciate all of the stuff that I'm putting out there, please feel free to compensate me for the emotional labor I'm putting into this. And it's like every few months I send her like 20 bucks, $25. I'm like, thank you. 
You, yeah. I've learned so much about indigenous communities in the U.S. because of her. Like, happily, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Here is yeah. $20. And I think like, that's the key is for Caucasian people to listen. Mm-hmm. Just listen. Just be quiet for a little while yeah. and listen to what people are saying. Exactly. And so white, I mean, clearly white people have to do better, but it's up to us to mm-hmm. figure out how to do that. Right. We're that's holding we're the strings. Gonna, yep, exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But first, we'll take a quick break. Hey friends, this is Courtney of Kyle and Courtney Have Questions. Just a friendly reminder, Kyle and I are not experts on any of the topics that we discuss on this podcast. So take everything we say with a grain of salt. And maybe a shout out tequila too. Probably a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So Courtney, thank you for doing all this research. It's been a great conversation so far. So I have some questions. What can we do to help like fight back against racism? Yeah, that's, and you know, that is where the action of anti-racism comes into play. So I've kind of broken it down according to those four types of racism that I discussed earlier. So starting off with the first one, individual racism. Mm -hmm. Um, This is maybe like the most common form of racism that people think about. And unfortunately, I think we're all guilty of it. All of us. Yeah. And somewhere, some way, shape or form. Yeah. And and it's not because we're bad people and we dislike people different than us. It's literally because of that institutional and structural racism that's so pervasive throughout our society that we've almost unknowingly been exposed to and and absorbed a lot of these stereotypes and like whether or not it's intentional, like that's where anti-racism has to start. It starts with challenging that, that interior I don't know, monologue, not monologue, but you know what no, I mean? Like you're exactly right. The yeah. interior monologue. And so like, we have to challenge some of those like instinctual assumptions that we make. Like when you get that initial knee jerk or gut reaction to something, like you see a, a black man walking down the street and he's got baggy jeans that are sagging in a, you know, big oversized t-shirt and he's smoking and he's got a bandana or a do-rag on. You're like, what a thug. No, right. he's just a dude walking down the street. Like, right. You know, I've heard people say things like that. Like, look at that guy. He's so ghetto. It's like fucking what? He's wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Right. (laughs) Like what? And and that, and that's, that's where it comes into play. Like why, where did that thought come from? Why do you think that's ghetto? Where did, what have you learned along the way that made you think that particular outfit Mm -hmm. is related to that? And that's where, that's the key. Exactly. And that's where it's like, you have to look at like, the media portrayals like movies and TV Mm -hmm. and, you know, all that shit that just continues to perpetuate these ridiculous stereotypes that are so damaging. Um, And one thing with this, I I heard a line once or like read something once that, that I think about a lot. And I hear this talked about a lot. Um, in, uh, so I hear this talked about a lot in terms of like the body positivity community or body neutrality community, but it applies here really well. And so that first voice that you hear, that's what you've been conditioned to think. But the second voice that you hear is what you think. Mm. So that example of seeing that man and going, oh my God, that's ghetto. And then going, no, it's not. That second voice, that reaction of no, it's not 
that's the first step of anti-racism is internally Mm. challenging those stereotypes and assumptions that you have almost been conditioned to make with our society. Yeah. And so that's something that I know I struggled with a lot when I kind of started going through this journey years ago, that it was like, you know, I would see somebody and I think that and be like, Oh my God, that's ghetto. And I'd be like, what the fuck, Courtney? No, it's not. And I would feel guilty initially, but, and I mean, you know, I still would now, but it's like, now I can kind of not take pride in, but like be, be grateful that I've gotten to the point where now I don't, think that like now I've challenged that I've overwritten that initial reaction just by continuously challenging myself anytime it came up but it it takes a lot of internal work for you to to recognize that stuff yeah and I think when you start building on that and when you start questioning those things that's when you start thinking about like the institutionalized pieces of how you got to that point Like Mm -hmm. when you start unraveling that spool of thread where it's like, okay, I thought that, but now where did that come from? And then you start taking a look at the stereotypes that like, it's a stereotype for a reason because of this, 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 and this, that were structural of how, like, of how we've been conditioned and the the things that our government has, has written, you know? Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's one of those things like if you're if you're, you know, a kid growing up seeing the newspaper and you're always seeing headlines about, you know, that black men are being arrested for drugs, unconsciously you're going to be like, wow, black people are are drug addicts. Yeah. Like you may know black people who are not, but subconsciously you're going to be like, well, that's normal because it's always in the paper. Right. And you just subconsciously absorb that shit even when you you know it's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and so then, fucked up. It really, it's just so fucked up. And then when you start like doing research on like the crack epidemic and how that started and, and you're just like, wait, so this was started by intentionally by yeah. to keep like, to keep people oppressed. It's when you start going down the rabbit hole, there's no turning back. It's yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think some of that, some of those, you know, anti-racist steps that you take on an individual level also come into play with the interpersonal racism, because I mean, like we said, obviously the, the examples I mentioned before of like using racist slurs, making hateful comments and so on, but we also need to push back on some of the more like quote unquote subtle comments that people make, like the different little microaggressions that we witness. So things like calling someone or calling something ghetto making comments about things like their hairstyle, their accent, the, the, you know, difference in languages, um, asking things like, but where are you really from? Oh God, don't ever say that. Or the one that always drives me nuts, touching people's hair or asking to touch someone's hair. What I just, why? Right. Why? It's insane to me. You know what, you know, it's a big one to that. And then it goes into other things we talk about, but consent yeah. Oh yeah. Don't touch someone else's body. <laughs> period. Never. Unless you have consent. Yeah. But you know, that's like when you when you witness stuff like that, you have to speak up. And so that's a great opportunity for what um there is a Wikipedia article on anti-racism and they have a section that talks about what they describe as micro interventions. Mm. Um so 
Microinterventions uh, requires confronting racial microaggressions by just outwardly challenging and disagreeing over it for, for any of those like microaggressions that would harm a person of color. And so some of the tactics include, you know, just like kind of revealing what hidden biases or agendas are behind different acts of discrimination, trying to interrupt and challenge that oppressive language when you hear it, um, educating people who are, are, you know, using that language or enforcing those systems yeah. and just trying to connect with other allies and community members to kind of band together on these efforts. And all of these tactics, the goal is to educate the oppressor to see and understand the impact of their words and kind of create a space to have an educational dialogue about how those actions oppress people of color and marginalized groups. Um, because, really asking questions is a powerful tool to seek clarity and like try to, to open up a new perspective and create a, you know, a dialogue um, because educating someone on their biases is going to open up that discussion. Even if that, that comment or that action is not intended to be harmful, but it can have a damaging impact. Opening up a dialogue is going to get you farther than just going, Holy shit, that's fucking racist. Why would you say that? You know, right. that's a very abrasive, sometimes that's how I want to respond. <laughs> like the yeah. fuck is wrong with you that you think that's okay. But using phrase, you know, using phrases kind of like, you know, I know you meant that joke to be funny, but like that stereotype can really be hurtful because of X, Y, Z or asking open-ended questions to try and understand, you know, what they meant or why they think that and saying things like, you know, why would you, why do you say that? Or have you ever considered X, Y, Z, you know, just to, to open up that, that, you know, communication and have that dialogue rather than a knee jerk, angry reaction. I'm glad you said that. Um, Cause my next thought was, well, what are some ways that you can open up that dialogue um, and I, I'm, I'm glad you covered that because that's definitely something that's, that's vital in having mm-hmm. these conversations. It's finding a way, a, a non-confrontational, non-abrasive like, way to open up that dialogue. Um, I know there's definitely been times in my life where people have said, you know, the N-word around me and I like stop it cold at that. Like, nope, we're not, that's not something we say around me, around here. Yep. And I'm not going to tolerate that. So you need to block that out whenever you're around me. It, yeah. Preferably forever block that out. Yeah. Never especially say it again. not around me. Yeah. Just don't yeah. say that one again. Yeah. Something that had kind of helped me along the way. And it was during the pandemic mm-hmm. um, when the, we were having all those protests in Chicago and it was very like black lives matter was on the front, the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. When you commit to having those awkward conversations and you know, it's going to be awkward, but you commit to having them because you know, it's the right thing to do. Um, Just tucking that in the back of your brain being like, I've made this pact with myself. And so I'm going to follow through with it. And kind of having that mindset, if you are going into conversations with family or friends that you know, that might be something you might have to deal with, Mm -hmm. just, you know, know that you're putting in the work. You're yeah. doing what you need to be doing as an ally um, and moving forward in that direction. Like whatever, you you might stumble during your conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely have stumbled during my conversations, but, you know, do your research, 
get armed with as much information as you can to, you know, try to have a logical conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, oh, go ahead. And, and also try to approach people where they are. If you're Mm -hmm. talking to someone at, so I'm going to preface this by saying I had a conversation with someone and I was trying to talk to them in like a way that I understood. Mm -hmm. But Joe, after the conversation was over, was like, they don't understand what you said because they don't have the same vocabulary that Mm -hmm. you have. So you have to put it in context and in terms and in experiences that they understand. Right. You got to reframe it for them. Exactly. And that was a, that was an eye-opening thing for me. I, I learned a lot from Joe um, quite honestly, because he is of Hispanic, you know, mm-hmm. um, ethnicity. So I learned a lot from him in terms of like how to talk to people, how to approach things from different perspectives. Um, so yeah, try to meet people where they are yeah. and talk to them on their level. Absolutely. And I think one thing to keep in mind for anybody who's just kind of starting out on this journey, that this is kind of a new thing for you, you can you can take baby steps. We're not expecting you to go out tomorrow and like stand outside of a police station with a protest sign, protest sign like screaming. <laughs> I mean, like, if you want to, go you for can, it. Go for it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to dive into the deep end, power to you. Some people but, like to just jump in feet first. Yeah, but some people, you know, like you said, are a little nervous of the confrontation and like don't know how to do that. And so, you know, I think with that, the I mean, the goal is you want to educate that person on the difference between like what they were intending to say maybe and like how what they said is harmful. Yeah. Like th- you can get your point across in a different way without using a racist stereotype. Or, I mean, if you're just saying blatantly racist things, like we want to educate you on why that's not okay. You shouldn't make right. that point ever. Exactly. But the, the anti-racist micro, uh, micro intervention strategies, it's just tools for uh, white allies people of color and bystanders to like combat against those microaggressions and those acts of discrimination. Yeah. But kind of having that gentler approach in some of those scenarios, obviously, you know, you get further with, uh, with honey than with vinegar. So caveat to that. Yeah. We have all seen in recent years, how quickly some people will dig their heels in and refuse to look at any other point of view because they don't want to accept that they're wrong. They will scream that you're a snowflake, you're overreacting, you're blowing things out of proportion, it's not a big deal, I have the right to free speech, I can say whatever I want, and like, obviously some of these people just cannot be reasoned with. So Mm -hmm. in these cases, that kind of opens up another question of like, how far do we take that? Like, do we just set that boundary of like, I do not want to discuss this ever again, please do not ever say this around me. Do not ever bring this up around me. I don't want, I do not want this interaction again. Do we contact their employer? Do we contact the media? Do we publicly name them? Do we Mm. share their messages or their words with friends or family? Like there are some people whose entire platform online is based on like identifying people who commit racist or hateful acts that are caught on video. Like that's what they do. And it's like, it's, I don't know. I'm very conflicted on that because on one yeah. and on one hand, I'm like, go fuck yourself. You're a shitty person. You deserve to be called out. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, again, depending on what the situation is, mm-hmm. like, should you lose your job 
or should you just like <laughs> it be, is it is such a loaded it is it is such a loaded there's no uh, easy answer to that no absolutely there no there's no and we're not going to find one today quite honestly no, we're not <laughs> but it's 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 an interesting concept to think about like how far how far do we take this what yeah. you know what are what are the boundaries like what i, I mean I, I really think like cancel culture and public shaming is like a whole a whole monster on that's a on whole different own. episode <laughs> it is a whole different episode yeah. and in some cases it's like you know you can sit back uh, you know from the comfort of your screen and be mm-hmm. like ha you got what they you know got what's coming yeah. to them but i don't know i, I, I really like um another uh girl that i follow woman that i follow on instagram she she dives into a lot of like heavy conversations like this and, you know, kind of controversial things. And, you know, it's like, I mean, same with us. Like we're coming at this from the perspective of, we want to learn, we want to do better. We want to improve things. We're going Mm -hmm. to get things wrong along the way. And, you know, if I'm getting any of this wrong, I really hope someone will reach out to me and be like, Hey, you made this point. That's kind of harmful because of X, Y, Z. And that's where she always talks about the difference between calling someone out and calling someone in. And I love that idea of like, I'm going to call you in for a discussion so we can talk about this and have that educational, you know, communication of like, here's why this is harmful. Here's a different way to look at it. That's what I want. I want to learn. So if somebody has something to teach me, please let me know, or let me know where I can learn it myself. Like that's the whole point. I wouldn't, in general, in life, I would much rather if someone has a differing opinion than myself, would rather them say, "Hey, have you thought about it this way?" Mm-hmm. And because we often get so into our little path and into our way of thinking that we don't, we put our blinders on and we mm-hmm. don't try to think about uh, how things might be affecting other people or put ourselves in other people's shoes. Yeah, um, and kind of like try to understand things from a different point of view. So I, I always find it very helpful when someone approaches it from that direction. Yeah. And especially because, I mean, obviously you, you don't know everyone, you don't know everyone's background. You don't know what education they've had, what they've been exposed to. Um, everybody has to start somewhere. And some people have, you know, been raised by maybe really hateful people and they just have never had anybody try to teach them anything different. Or, you know, they were raised in a very small community and they just haven't seen the world. They haven't interacted with other people. And they're like, well, this is what everyone back home does. Like, why is this a problem? Everyone does it. It's like, well, no, not everyone. Um, And so I think that's, you know, kind of approaching that initially from that place of like gentle redirection. Let's Mm -hmm. look at it from this, this angle is, is a really good starting point. But I mean, obviously, like we said, you're, you're not going to get through to everyone. Right. You're not going to. Something that has helped me along the way as well is that realizing that you have had your experience, I have had my experience, Mm -hmm. but there are over a billion people on this planet. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you can't say that just because you've had that experience, that over a billion other people have had that experience, you know? I had that discussion, uh, discussion, discussion <laughs> I had that discussion. over some champagne yeah I had that discussion um a couple of years ago my dad's family does a huge family reunion every year 
And I grew up in a very redneck rural part of Pennsylvania. And one of like, you know, my dad's cousins, kids or something like that, they come rolling up to the uh, reunion in their lifted crappy old Ford pickup truck with a Confederate flag waving from the back. We're in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was not part of the Confederacy. Like, no, no, no. not in any way, shape or form. But the, the thing is so many people from my hometown, they associate that with like the Dukes of Hazard. They're like, I grew up watching the Dukes of Hazard. It's like the Dukes of Hazard. It's so funny. It's like, no, like they don't look any deeper than that. And I made a comment later that I was like, holy shit, that was so fucking inappropriate. And my dad was like, no, it's just a flag, whatever. And I was like, you know that my cousin, she's married to a black man mm-hmm. who lives in Virginia or Maryland now. I'm like, that, that flag is a threat to him. Yeah. It's not a funny relic from a TV show or something that just means you're a redneck and you're proud of it. That's a, that's a violent image to him. How yeah. do you think he felt seeing that pull up to the family reunion? Right. We're all, yeah. I told you, we're already a bunch of freaking white people. Like, <laughs> like. Can you imagine you felt a little tension? And, and the thing is, our family is very open and welcoming that like we, I, I love him. I met him when they were first dating and I was like, please marry him. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, hopefully, hopefully he knows that he is very welcomed and loved in our family. But like that moment had to be so unnerving for him. And so many people didn't give it a second thought because they've never had to. Right. They've you know, they've never had to confront that realization of what that flag might mean. Exactly. And so it's like, you know, that really comes into play with this, these two levels of individual and interpersonal race, racism is looking at things from different perspectives and opening your mind to what, what those things mean to other people. Yeah, that's absolutely. really kind of the, the bottom line. Um, but so then the next one was the institutional racism, which was again, talking about racism within organizations. Um, so like in some instances with this one, like such as within like your job, this one can be kind of difficult to, you know, speak up and have an impact if you're not in a place of leadership. Yeah. But there's obviously still opportunities where you can speak up, bring things, bring ideas, um, you know, to your manager, um, you know, ask, ask leadership about like, what are their diversity efforts? You know, pay attention to like who is being hired, um, especially in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. You know, so many companies love to talk about how like we're dedicated to diversity. And then you look at their organizational chart and it's like, that's a bunch of white dudes. Exactly. As a bunch of white dudes. I'm glad you said that because it's definitely something when you are applying for jobs, mm-hmm. look at their about us page, look at their leadership team. Yeah. If, if diversion and inclusivity, inclusivity, did I just say diversion? You Diversity <laughs> and in, in, inclusion is yes. something that's like super important to you. Make sure you're looking at these things. Yeah. But, and like I mentioned earlier, also looking at the higher ups, because I love when companies are like, we promote diversity. And it's like, okay, well, all of your executives are white. And then you've got like two black people that work down there at the bottom of the org chart. Yeah. That's not diversity. So I have a question. 
So where, like when you're talking about companies and diversity, like obviously you have an established power structure already. You have your established board or whoever, mm-hmm. like where does, obviously you can't just fire everyone and start rehiring <laughs> everyone. Like where do you, where do you go from there? I don't so, know if you yeah. have that answer. I'm just. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I definitely don't, but like some of the ideas that I have is, you know, obviously if you're interviewing for a company and you look and see that, Hey, like I looked you up on your website or on LinkedIn and it's like, everybody's a white person. So you might want to ask during the interview, like, you know, what kind of efforts do you guys have in place to promote diversity in the workplace? Mm. You know, what kind of hiring practices do you have for promotional opportunities? Like, you know, how, how do people get promoted? Do people get promoted? Do you hire from within or do you hire externally? Um, you know, and so just kind of getting a feel for that, because if they tell you like, yeah, we're super committed to diversity, we always promote within. All right. So you only promoted white people. That's kind of weird. Like, you know, just, just kind of gauging that, you know, that it's one of those things of, is it performative? Is it lip service? Mm. Is it, we're just saying that we appreciate diversity because we have to say it. Everybody, everybody's looking for that now, but do they actually apply it in practice? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, And then obviously, like I mentioned before, another common example is within education. Um, uh, In one of the articles I read, they said like kids of color are actually, they're more likely to be punished in school they are less likely to be identified as gifted students. They mm. often have less access to quality teachers or resources. Um, you know, and again, that's just, it's, it is built into the fabric of our society. Yeah. Like it, it, it's just, it's one of those things of like, it's so blaringly obvious. Yeah. Um, so then the last one is the structural racism. And obviously this has been, probably one of the biggest talking points um, in the last few years, challenging this this bias within society, you know, this overarching systemic racism that exists in our world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's quite literally the foundation of the Black Lives Matter movement, challenging things like the profiling and police brutality, looking at things like the movement for missing and murdered indigenous women who don't get the same attention that the yeah. white women get, we've all probably all heard now of white women's syndrome. When a blonde white girl goes missing, the whole country knows about it, but how many yeah. black, brown, indigenous girls and women and children go missing and and we've never heard of it. We don't yeah. know anything about it. You know, so just that, that inequity, even just within the justice system, like we discussed, I mean, you cannot deny that that happens. Right. Um, I mean, you can but then, you know, you're wrong. So <laughs> uh, flat out, you're wrong. You're, just, you're wrong. So it kind of comes down to like within that, like how, how do we, how do we combat that? Like, how do we fight back against that? How do we get that anti-racist action within the realm of that systemic racism? Um, obviously the, the big one that a lot of us are familiar with is protests, yeah. attending a protest, taking part in those demonstrations to, add your voice to the crowd demanding change, um, signing petitions, making donations to organizations that challenge racism, like the ACLU or the NAACP, um, you know, again, sharing and signing petitions, asking for change, whether it be, 
you know, to your local government, to the federal government, whatever it might be, you know, just adding your voice to the mass makes a difference. I do feel like, I wonder sometimes when we're like, all right, I want to, I want to do some good. Like, what can I do? Like obviously going to a protest, like being in person makes a huge difference, Mm -hmm. but signing petitions, you know, sometimes I wonder like, okay, it's my signature on, you know, what is this going to do? So I wonder about that one, but I think we all know that in this country is specifically in our legislature, money speaks. And so finding resources and finding uh, foundations that are reputable and Mm -hmm. that are doing the work, like the important work, Mm -hmm. um, and that are actually doing the work is vital and finding those and donating to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of leads into the next one that I was going to mention, which is this is a midterms year. Oh, yeah. Your vote is your voice. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, like your shirt says, Kyle, shirt I bought from you, vote like your rights depend on it. Absolutely. Vote like the rights of your neighbor depend on it. Right. Your vote matters. Your vote decides who's getting in, who's making the laws, who's pushing for change. Right. Yep. And I want to repeat that. Your vote matters. It doesn't matter what state you're in, whether in your whether you're in a deep blue state, whether you're in a deep red state, it matters. One vote could make a difference. And I know people feel very um, hopeless sometimes about like, well, my vote doesn't matter. I, you know, I'm in a sea of red people or I'm in a sea of blue people. Yep. It doesn't matter. You you do your part and get out there and make your voice known and your opinion known. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's, you know, kind of within this election cycle, I, I've been putting my money where my mouth is. I Mm -hmm. have been supporting, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is going to be a big swing state this year. Our Republican Senator is retiring. We have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to flip it blue and CNN has said, this will be the number one race to watch this year. Mm. I have given so much money to John Fetterman. Yeah. <laughs> like, Get in there, Fetterman. I literally am like donating to him all the time. We also have um, a woman here who's, um, I think she's up for, I forget what district I'm in, for the House of Representatives. I forget, I'm like District 12, I think. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but Summer Lee, she would be the first Black woman from Pennsylvania sent to Congress. Yeah. And Amazing. girl, take my money. <laughs> yeah. Pittsburgh, if, we just we just elected the first black mayor in the history of Pittsburgh last year. Amazing. Like, yeah. Get it. And if you don't know when your midterms are, because they, they vary by state, look yeah. it up. Yes. Google is free. Look it up and find out when your midterms are and make sure you're registered to vote. Yes. Because a lot of people, they depend on your voting lapsing and mm-hmm. they won't tell you that your voter registration has lapsed. So make sure... You are registered to vote in your area. Yes. If you've moved, make sure you check and update Mm -hmm. your voter registration. Um, You know, that's, it's so easy to do. It's literally so easy to do. It takes at all. It's the quickest process. And we will definitely be diving into a heavier discussion on voting later this year as we approach the midterms. Right. Especially as when we're, as we're approaching these like times where, gerrymandering is a big 
big thing and people yeah. are developing these systems to disadvantage and dis disillusion voters um, and to like try to take away their voice. It is so important right now that you are on top of your information mm -hmm. because no one else is going to do it except for you. So it's so vitally important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another thing that I had in here as far as challenging um, systemic racism is stand up and speak out when you see it. Um, I, this, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this because this is an area for me personally that I struggle with mm -hmm. because I struggle internally with confrontation, period. Yeah. So finding that voice, I think is very scary sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this. Yeah. And another thing that I, I wanted to kind of mention along with this, sometimes you don't have to speak out. Sometimes you just have to witness, mm. which sounds like a religious thing. You got to witness. No. Um, <laughs> I saw, I don't remember if it was on Instagram or TikTok. It was a while ago. And it was, it was here in Pittsburgh that a woman had been driving down the road and she saw on the other side of the road that a young black man had been pulled over and there were four cops mm. and one black man. And she pulled off to the side of the road. She got out of her car and she just stood there and filmed on her phone. Yeah. And she didn't say anything. She was just standing there. One of the cops saw her. He walked over and he started telling her like, you need to go. You're parked illegally. So she called whoever was in the car. Honey, you got to move the car, please move it over. He says, we can't park there. Move the car. And <laughs> That's smart. She just, yeah. And she just stood there and he was like, you need to turn this off. And she's like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing on the sidewalk. She's like, I'm allowed to film you. And she's like, I've got your name. I've got your badge number. And she called out to that man. And she was like, honey, I just want you to let you know I'm here. I'm going to make sure that you're safe. Yeah. I'm just making sure that you're safe. That's all I'm doing right now. And yeah. he, like, you could hear the stress in his voice as he was like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's that's got to be terrifying. It had to be so terrifying. And it was like, she just, she refused to move. And so it's like, we have to be careful with this one because we need to avoid the whole white savior complex of like, we're right. here to rescue you. No, we're not. We're not here to save the day. We're just here to back you up yeah. as we have the privilege to be able to do that. And yeah. we have to use that privilege to our advantage and to the advantage of others. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it doesn't always have to be like a big confrontational thing, but you know, you have, you know, you have to sometimes find that, that strength to be able to stand up and be like, this isn't right. And this is the one little thing that I can do to fight back against it right now. Right. Um, but I mean, really, when it comes to systemic racism, you know, this really is, I think, the hardest one because one person is not going to eliminate racism from our society. Like, it would be right. great if that was possible, if I could just snap my fingers and it's gone. But this is going to take a lot of time and a lot of people and a lot of work. Oh, yeah. to get to a point where we can, and I don't even know that it will ever be fully eliminated, but, you know, to just lessen it as yeah. much as we possibly can. Absolutely. You know, it's, I, I wish we could say like, yeah, it'll be gone in 10 years. It's just so fucking deeply woven into the it's, fabric of our country. It's, it's a lot of difficult awful. conversations. So it's something that as white people, we need to get comfortable with is having those difficult conversations. Absolutely. Um, so to kind of start wrapping things up in, um, in that book, how to be an, uh, an anti-racist, Kendi said, quote, to be an anti-racist is a radical choice in the face of history. 
requiring a radical reorientation of our consciousness. Mm. And I think that just like that sums it up so well. Like the bottom line is we just have to speak up. It's like, it's like the signs at the airport. If you see something, say something. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like it can be hard and it can be uncomfortable, especially if you're confronting like friends and family or someone at work, like those conversations are, are uncomfortable sometimes, but we, we owe that to others to speak up and try to educate other people to be better as well. Not just Mm -hmm. be better for ourselves. We have to share that and educate other people. And yeah, we have to challenge it because like, that's the only way we can try to eliminate it and remove it from our society. Like it's the only way we'll ever have any hope of making an improvement. So that is where we have to step up and kind of say like, I didn't cause this issue. It's not my fault, but I have benefited from it. And I recognize how it has held you or held others down. And so I'm going to challenge it with the hope that it will not hold people down in the future, that we can remove that boundary. Awesome. Thank you so much, Courtney. Woof, Anna, take a Big breath. Exhale. That was, that was, that was a little bit stressful to cover it. Cause you know, it, it is that thing of like, I'm not an expert and I'm going to yeah. fuck something up, right. but I just, I know that the, the importance of speaking up outweighs my discomfort. And I think yeah. that's what it comes down to in any of these conversations. Yeah. We have to, we have to confront that discomfort head on and push mm-hmm. past it to learn more and to be better. That's really all it comes down to. Thank you guys for having this conversation with us today, Courtney. Thanks yeah. for uh, all your research that you did today. Let's uh, let's let's round it out with something maybe a little bit lighter, Kyle. What are you ready are you, for? Yeah, what? how are you going to disturb me today? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. You know that we usually do a "Would you rather" question at the end of our uh, episode. So, Courtney, I have one for you. All right. And this is from my three thousand one "Would You Rather" questions book. Oof. All right. So would you rather have your thumbs replaced with big toes or your pinkies replaced with pinky toes? <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, I've heard the, the big, the big toe for the thumbs, but I've never heard the pinkies with the pinky toe, tiny little nubbin over there. Um, oh God. Um, I, <laughs> I hate both of them. Question. I hate both of them. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of torn because I feel like I would have to go with the pinky being a pinky toe because you use your thumbs for a lot of things. And like, I think the same thing. Some people have that, like we always call them toe thumbs, like people who have that wide thumb. Like my mm. mom has that, that her thumb or like the tip of her thumb is wide. And I'm like, but your actual big toe is way bigger than that. Like trying to text would be impossible. Can you imagine? Oh I'd be God. texting, I'd be texting like an old lady, like one finger. With your pinky toe. One finger. Yeah, with my pinky toe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have to go with the uh pinky toe for my pinkies. I agree. Like I do we have the same amount of joints in our big toes that we do? I mean there's yeah. one, two. Yeah, because you have that knuckle at the base of your toe and then the one in the middle. First of all, hold on. Back up, record scratch. <laughs> Have you ever seen, there's a, a preview that comes on, I think at the Regal or the AMC or whatever. And it's like, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
a video for using technology for people that are like disabled or differently, not disabled, but differently abled. Mm -hmm. And this girl starts painting with her feet and she uses her like big toes or she's typing with her feet or something. Oh my gosh. Mystified by it. And I'm always like, she is a unicorn. Like she can do things that I can't do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's impressive. I know there's an episode of the office where they have a cold open that Dwight is trying to learn how to use his feet. And they bring him a cup of coffee and they're like, why don't you drink that? And he tries to, and he just spills it all over himself. (laughs) There is always an office situation for every situation. There really is. (laughs) It's very true. All right, you guys. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I Um, forgot to read you my, my resources. Oh yeah. References. Um, so I found an article on Vox.com called What It Means to Be Anti-Racist by Anna North. Mm-hmm. Um, a few quotes that were from the book How to Be an Anti-Racist from Ibram X. Kendi. The uh, article on the National Museum of African American History and Culture called Being Anti-Racist referenced a few things from the Wikipedia article on anti-racism as well. And then a uh, pulled some statistics from an article on AmericanProgress.org called Ending the War on Drugs by the Numbers by Betsy Pearl. 